Welcome to the dark forest Jackie and her pals will never bore us Shameless confessions about our obsessions Will make us laugh and smile So let's explore the dark forest And dark down for a while Hi, it's Jackie Cation And you are listening to The Dork Forest The website's JackieCation.com DorkForest.com TheDorkForest.com if you like a determiner Let's do the credits. Patrick Brady's going to fix this audio and video. Vilmos works on JackieCation.com. And Mike Rickberg uh, sang the song with his wife, Sarah. He composed it, and he will sing his version of the Mexican hat dance at the end of this show. Thank you so much for listening to The Dorks Forest. Here's a scoop. I'm doing stand-up online. A lot of Zoom shows will eventually go back on the road. Sign up for my email list. It's easy to get off. It's harder to get on than it is to get off. And no harm, no foul. If ever bored, JackieCasia.com, sign up for the email list. You'll find out about my weekly Zoom shows and stand up on the road eventually. You may donate to the show if you would like. I would like. Sure, I would. There's PayPal, Jackie at JackieCasia.com, and there is a PayPal button on both ZorkForest.com and JackieCasia.com, and there's Venmo if you like Venmo, Jackie-Cation, oddly enough. If you have listened to all of the shows, Go to dorkforest.bandcamp.com, I think. The Dork Forest has a Bandcamp page. You can listen to a a lot of ones that are free from pre-2000 nine when I started pre-recording and uh, then there's uh, live episodes that cost me a couple of bucks so I charge you a couple of bucks. There's also some stand-up. There's a story uh, album that's very exciting there and um, other than that I have a lot of merch in my garage. Feel free to order if you know anybody who doesn't have any CDs or the DVD and uh, you can follow me everywhere at Jackie Cation. Let's get into the show. Hey, it's Jackie Cation. I am right now in my garage as uh, you seem to be in your sister's apartment or home. Uh, Jean Hasquad, yeah. welcome to the program. Thank you. Glad to be here. I'm Very here exciting. With- yeah. Now, tell people where they can find you. Like, uh, okay. you got an aunt? I know you're a painter and an animator, and you have a really cool animation special that you did with David Huntsberger. Yes. Horse uh- dork. He was on this this program talking about how much he loves to smell right behind the nose of a horse. Oh, I have to catch that one. I miss that one. Um, I love David. He's he's a great guy. Um, I have I, uh, I, my um, art site is uh, I have two of them. I have a blog. It's genehospa.blogspot.com. And then my um, art site is uh, just I mean, just uh, the website. No blogging kind of stuff is at genehotspot.com and I'm which also- is probably everything's linkable right yes yes from that from that main website yes. do you have like all your socials kind of um I, ha- I have um I have Twitter um I think my Twitter is separate I think maybe it's connected via my blog um and I just started Instagram not too long ago but I haven't really done a whole lot with that I've just been keeping it somewhere private I may start a a, 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 a specifically art Instagram site. Fair enough. And it's spelled G-E-A-N-N-E, right, Jean? Yeah, J-E-A-N-N-E, hotspot, H-O-S-P-O-D. J? It's a J. I said G like a crazy person. Oh, really? Oh, okay. It's a J. It's a J-E-A-N-N-E, hotspot, H-O-S-P-O-D. It'll be in the notes, you guys, just so you know. Okay. And um, 
You said you wanted to talk about Scott Walker, and I had a small triggering moment because that was the name of Wisconsin's governor for some time, and he was a maroon or a bad guy, not not a good guy. So, uh, but that's not what you're talking about. You're talking about some musician. No, I'm talking about the musician. Actually, his real name is Noel Scott Engel, but uh, he went by the stage name of Scott Walker. Okay. And uh, he uh, he passed away uh, in 2019, oh. unfortunately. Uh, but he had a 60 year he uh, hit a 60 year career in entertainment, kind of progressing into art. And and uh, interesting. Yes, and he. So he's wait. So he is. He died in in 2019. Yes. How old was he when he died? He was. Uh, I believe he had just turned 76. Okay, so you know, not a career cut tragically short, but no, uh, but no. not yeah. So an older gentleman. Yes. But where was he from? He was an American, um, but then he uh, he moved to he moved to England, and he spent the rest of his life there. Once he was in the swinging sixties, when the uh, big um, uh, British invasion came over. He, mm-hmm. Scott, who used to kind of go against things, uh, go against the tide, went the across from uh, California <laughs> to England uh, to to uh, to with the with his band, the Walker Brothers, to start his career there, and, uh, okay. he, and he lived there for the rest of his life. Oh wow! Yeah. So so he lived he lived in England or Great Britain or whatever yes. uh, from the sixties. Yes. And what kind of music did he do? Okay, that's that's a, probably take up the whole show here. Uh, he, <laughs> yeah, he um, he started off uh, he started off as a as a child um, actor and entertainer, and he was doing uh, when he was a little kid. He was in um, he he did a with his family. He had moved around, and he had, he started off doing uh, child. Um, doing like a little uh, small town uh, contest, singing contest, and he would win them. Like he would live in Texas oh. for a while. Uh, he sure. started off in Ohio. He had moved around. His father was uh, worked for an oil company. Started off, uh, went to Texas, uh, 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 performed uh, locally. And then he, uh, his parents broke up. He moved back to the East Coast. Do you hear okay. that? Okay. I hear a noise. I do not. Okay, it was just. Uh, will at some point hear helicopters because I live in Van Nuys. Okay. And sadly, there's a lot of people learning how to fly helicopters in my hometown, in what is currently my hometown, which is where my home is. Okay. Which is Van Nuys. I'm getting a little. I'm sorry, it's a little technical thing. I'm having. Let me just unplug something and plug it back in. I'm sorry. Okay. Oh, it's okay. an exciting time to talk sorry. to Jeannie Hospot. Uh, I'm Jeannie so Hospod. sorry. And uh, we're going to be talking about uh, Scott Walker. And if you go to jeanhospod.com, J-E-A-N-N-E-H-O-S-P-O-D.com, you can uh, check out her art and stuff like that. And um, I think she'll be back uh, any minute now. I'm sorry. It was a USB thing. If it happened, hopefully it won't happen again. I Uh, can't hear any of it. Okay. Okay. That's good. It's just a little notice. I'm sorry about that. Um, Okay. So, yes. You're great. You just, yeah, just tell me, I mean, I, I've never heard of him. Yeah. Does he do folk music? Does he do rock music? Does it was he, rock. He started. Probably not a rapper. 
No, he's, he's, a, not, he's a rock. Although, is he a musician? He is a musician. Um, he's he so uh, he had uh, as a child actor went out, went off uh, did uh, Broadway. Then he went off to then he went to the West Coast with his mother after uh, his parents divorced. Did a um, uh, he was a he was a protege of Eddie Fisher. He did a lot of pop tunes in the 50s, very uh, kind of a teeny bopper, went on to become a session musician in L.A. Uh, then he got it together with the Walker Brothers and they renamed himself uh, Scott Walker. And his does he family, have a does he have a brother? It's not his brother. Uh, it was uh, John Mouse, not the John okay. Mouse who there's a there's an electronic artist named John Mouse who joy who. Um, who uh, ended up uh, going kind of full horseshoe following Trump at the January 6th. <laughs> Not that John Mouse. A- full horseshoe is the greatest statement I've ever heard in my life. Oh, okay. Go ahead. <laughs> um, <laughs> I love it. So uh, this John Mouse, uh, he changed his name to the Walker brother. He changed himself to John Walker and Scott. Uh, they, they did a brother act because it was that was the popular thing um, right. at the time in the, in the uh, early 60s. Okay. Uh, they, uh, then they were doing just pop music, uh, you know, swinging, swinging sixties pop. And did he play guitar or piano? What he did he played, play? He played bass guitar. Um, okay. but, um, he went from, uh, uh he, trying to sum it up. He went from pop to, um, kind of a harder rock into, he would not like to say avant-garde. I, if you're going to use shortcuts, I would say avant-garde. Um, he never wanted to be out beyond. He, he, he was really a brilliant guy and he kind of his intellect and his references would kind of go way out there, but he never, his goal was never to be uh, so beyond that. You can't connect to it. It's, it can be challenging, but um he really went out kind of, I'd say, like in the realm of like a, a Laurie Anderson. Um, okay. he, he wanted to be accessible, but he's clearly he's writing. He's writing pop and rock in the 50s and 60s. But then does it go to like acid rock or heavy metal or does it just go more uh, folk and more acoustic? It went from, um, uh, I'd say, like, a, uh, well, the kind of a 60s ballad pop. Uh, And then um, he was repressed by his record company uh, after he was going further and further out doing more personal work. And he he finally um, he finally uh, uh, embraced. uh, He finally just kind of went his own way. And the record company said, this is a. (laughs) <laughs> we don't like that way. We don't like that way because <laughs> it, it had uh, failed. I guess I, I'm getting, to, I should, maybe I should get more specific here. Um, so no, I, I like the big picture and then we okay. can totally get specific. Oh, okay. It's your, okay. It's your, it's your world. Okay. okay. That's fine. Um, so yeah, he, he did this uh, piece. He did this. Uh, he, he broke away from the Walker brothers. He was doing more personal work and, uh, and, and really going in his own. It was, it was pop, but it was just really beautiful, unique, personal pop and he did this album that was called Scott Ford because he had other albums before it uh, that was really his own masterpiece of writing and it was just it was gorgeous and it was a complete commercial failure um it's now considered a masterpiece um, and it was called Scott Ford Scott Ford you are yes okay. Scott Ford and uh it um 
from there, his record company, um, they, they uh, made it, they said, well, no more of that. Uh, you're gonna <laughs> you're gonna do you're gonna do covers uh you're covers. i mean he was he was doing covers before occasionally but he would mix them up and right. yeah and he would he would mix them up and he was doing then he started doing jacques Brel covers uh which was a very uh kind of a, a, a this musician a belgian musician who um dealt with the seedier side of things and death and sex and the kind of the gritty underbelly and Ooh. he got access to his um he got access to, to his catalog for the english for the first english translations and he started doing them himself and he was he was like this like rock god and um he just the way he just he he presented them it was well i want to say rock it just he just had this presence um it's just um he, he could he just he really just did these beautiful interpretations of them with this confidence and this kind of this blonde Ameri all american uh uh rock, you know was a rock star but he was trying to go trying to go beyond it and it, it influenced his own writing till he did this album scott four which was all his own stuff and it was very personal it's very beautiful and it's it it, it died it, it did not it did do not well. do well <laughs> did not do well but it it's now considered a masterpiece his uh record company says okay we're gonna get you off of this uh we're gonna you know you're gonna start doing more covers uh you're gonna they you didn't know, like the covers of the belgium guy they like it's a little too artistic a little too okay. too arty you know they wanted him to do more like beatles covers maybe yeah well maybe, standards maybe. standards yeah they, he, they tried to make him a bridge like um people compared him to at the time to like an andy williams Frank oh, Sinatra. Okay. There's like a, a Frank Sinatra for the younger set. He was a very pretty man and, okay. uh, you know, definitely had the sex appeal for both the, for the teenagers and the, and the uh, housewives. And, sure. um, and it's funny when you, they say, you know, when they make references to that, like, as if that's to put it down, because, you know, if it, it, it appeals to the, to the girls or to the women, um, it's not as artistically, uh, in, uh valid which you know right. which is ridiculous right because right, they were trying to go for the 18 to 34 year old men yeah and um and then well forgetting that it turns out the 14 to 35 year old women also have uh access to some cash yeah yeah yeah, yeah. and, and what so, year is this when when uh, scott four came out do you remember uh, 1969 and it came okay. out one week before my birthday so <laughs> nice. uh, yeah um happy birthday thank yeah <laughs> so i was yeah i was a yeah um so the, so he spent like the next um almost not quite a decade uh it's about about seven the next seven or so years um just he, even though he said he would never compromise um he now had a daughter uh he I remember him saying one time that a manager had told, advised him to get a large apartment. And I'm wondering if it was kind of to trap him, to get him comfortable. Even though uh, he always said he'll never, he'll never make a compromise and he got him right at a vulnerable spot. And he, so he's, he was resigned to do these covers. He tried to start making them his own. He was starting to kind of a, uh, go into a country mode, uh, like uh, okay. interpreting country music. And he had a, as someone said, he had a serious flirtation with country. And even when he reformed the Walker brothers, they went country. And, and uh, 
But like have, full Waylon Jennings, Willie Nelson, like 70s country? 70s country, yeah. Wow. Yeah, yeah. And 70s country folk and things like that. And but was it pretty good or I liked it. I thought it was good. Sure. I mean, it's not it's not art with a capital A, but it's lovely. And he right, did right. I, I, like the kind of stuff he was doing, like if I, I not that I would use this as a caliber of like what's great, but like if like these like um caught these music these con- these singing contests you see on reality TV, right? They would just they would give their eye teeth to be able to be at the level he was doing at that stuff. But he didn't want to do that anymore. He wanted to keep writing his music, but he just was so discouraged. And he had already had started developing a little bit of a drinking problem, and then he just went really into the drink after this because he was just like he showed up, he did the recordings, he 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 followed, he he did it, he fulfilled his contracts, but he was right. just he was just like, but his heart wasn't into it, and he yeah. really was starting to have a, a drinking problem. Then this is the thing: this is there was this pivotal moment where his record company said. Um, I think it was Phillips. I'm trying to like, I have all these notes. So I don't, right, I don't, right. um, they said to him, um, well, yeah, we're, we're going, uh, his record company said, we're going out of business and oh. you had, so instead of having X amount of albums, cause he actually had reformed the Walker brothers just to make some money. Right. And they said, well, uh, instead of fulfilling your contract, uh, were um uh, you just have you always one more album and we don't it doesn't matter anymore uh do whatever you want do, and he said seriously anything i want yeah do whatever you want and he got together the walker brothers and said okay guys this may be our last chance to ever record again you know we're it might you know this might be the end for us anyway be as self-indulgent as you want i'm gonna be self-indulgent <laughs> good for him yeah and they all kind of just did their own things and he did it they, they wrote their own songs i mean scott would help produce them uh and they did this album called night flights and the okay. first four songs were scott's and they okay. went from and it's this is the thing that just just blew me away um uh, before he did even when he was writing his own music it was very these beautiful watercolor washes of um autobiographical observations and emotions and stuff like that and it was and it was sentimental but it was absolutely stunning and there's nothing right. wrong with sentimental although he had said later on in retrospect he felt like he had he had a bat it was something he was struggling with because i guess he felt like he wanted to go beyond like a, a sentimental or self or things that have to deal with self-pity and he wanted to kind of pull focus a bit has he ever heard any harry chapin are you kidding me <laughs> uh harry chapin I had a Harry Chapin album once and the first song on it was about how a baby dies of hunger in the third world. And you're like, could you stomp on somebody's heart more actively? Like it's, (laughs) it was so contrived. I, I remember, and I was 19. So of course I, I had soaked it up Mm -hmm. anyway. So, uh, he couldn't have been worse than that. Yeah. Oh, he, 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 when he goes into he talks a lot about social issues, but he, he doesn't ever like, he, he would say he doesn't like folk singers who's like, who tell like, this is how you should feel. And this is like really, real literal, uh, prescribed. So it, was, it was more sociopolitical than yeah, he would than like political, to tell, political. He would like to tell a story and like, really like he would tell a story, but in this really mysterious kind of poetic way. And 
just hit you with the emotions without, you know, um, without being cloying. Um, or or the ter- details, right? Not, right. So, so not the details of a specific sort of event. It was more a, a larger, you Some, see what's happening in the world kind of thing? Or? Some, sometimes, sometimes. Uh, but it was like, uh, not in a, a just in, uh, but also very, uh, how to say, like looking at it with a kind of a coldness and letting you, letting you into it without, um, tell, without, uh, manipul- without manipulating you. Um, right, it was just sort of more objective. Yes, yes. And so, but, so he did this uh, four songs, though, um, from uh, Night Flights. And they, they start off as a, um, they're, first of all, they're rock. They are rock. And there's a Bowie connection. I, I was going to go into the Bowie bit. Um, Please. Maybe I should go back and go in to, to hit, hitch it right back, take a wave back to the uh, Night Flights. Um, so what got me into Scott was, um, I still remember it, January 10th, 2016, I wake up, I look at my phone, and David Bowie died. And um, it's just the beginning of a just a lovely year. Um, and I just had this, my, just kind of this sinking feeling in my gut. I had not been a, a manic follower of Bowie, but I always, I always had a great affection for him. Um, and I started going into a rabbit hole, going into his back catalog. And every time I would look him up, I kept seeing this picture of this guy in shades um, in the 60s, kind of like a, a, a 60s uh, uh, dandy um, that every, it just would always show up. And it, that was Scott Walker. And what apparently was, it was for this, uh, this show, uh, for this uh, movie documentary that David Bowie had uh, executive produced called 30th Century Man, and which was uh, directed by Stephen Kajak. And, okay. and this is what kind of led me in t- into him. Um, so, so you were sort of just struck by the photo of him behind Bowie? And you're uh, like, who the hell is this? No, just kept, his, his picture just kept showing up whenever I would look up Bowie. His, like his phone, he hung out with him a lot. Do you think he worked on some of he, his albums? I think he, or? I think he might have actually met him in person once. But he was someone who was extremely, uh, uh, extremely pivotal to Bowie. Okay. Uh, yeah. So uh, to go to go back, and I'm going to get to hit you back to to night flights, but going backwards. Um, so Bowie, um, he, when he was starting off in his career before he was the before he was Ziggy Stardust. Uh, Thin White Duke and all that. Um, way back, uh, he was um, when he was just getting. He was just uh, developing himself. He had uh, started dating this slightly older musician named Leslie Duncan, and Leslie, uh, she is um, one of the singers on Dark Side of the Moon, uh, on Pink Floyd's Dark Side of the Moon, the uh, great gig in the sky, that kind of orgasmic, uh, those women singing in, in chorus. Um, and she also wrote um, some, she wrote a song with a, or wrote a song for uh, Elton John. And so she was, a, she was a, she had stage fright, so she never really fully pushed herself. Um, and she, she kind of retired and got married and was a gardener later on. But before she met 
before she met Bowie, she was um, she co-written a song or two with uh, Scott Walker, and they were lovers for a period of time. And they oh, broke. Wow. They broke up. I, I don't know if they broke up or they just sort of drifted, but they were on good terms. And she had a great affection for his music. And this is, uh, I think, after several albums of Scott's solo work post uh, Walker Brothers, and she would play this stuff all the time. And she's dating this guy who's a little younger than her, David Bowie. And she would just play hit Scott's music all the time and said, you need to up your game. You're good. But, you know, you really need, listen to this guy. Right. Right. And, uh, and he would also the, the Jacques Brel covers that were just so in, he would just the, the command he had that both the, the, the incredible baritone Scott had the, the, the passion she, he had in his voice, in, in his in his singing um, and then his own songwriting quality. And she says, like, you you need to really up your game. This is right, what right. it's at. And it pissed Bowie off. He's just like, you know, romantically. Sure. And he's also, you know, uh, competitive. And he's like, what the hell is this guy? And then he realized, God damn it, he's really good. He's right. really, really good. And he just just fell in love with his music. And he he, he said he became his idol. And wow. so he would look to him and... So when uh, Scott was kind of working up towards this beautiful early peak of Scott four and Bowie was just getting himself together musically, then um, then Scott was suppressed uh, by the record company and right. said, you know, now do covers and they're kind of aging. They're putting them in sort of an eight, like a, a very much of a period of like, right. yeah. And while David is his star is ascending. And um, so when we get to back to Night Flights now. um, uh, What year is Night Flights? Night Flights is 1978. Okay. Now, Scott, um, he always kept up with what was going on, even if he was being forced into certain areas. And he was impressed with um, Bowie's Berlin work. There was um, like, especially he had some orchestrated, um, trying to remember the name of it, I don't know if it was low. It might have been low. I know he had three albums from Berlin. I, gosh, I, that was one of the things I didn't put the notes on. Uh, but in any case, um, Scott liked his work. He liked what he was doing. And he he was a little inspired by that. And then he, he did the night flights. So one song's about alien invasion. One song about a dystopia. One song about like kind of this night flying predator of a sorts. And then another song of uh, this kind of this layering of two meanings. One is like a beat called the, it's called the electrician. One is like a BDSM uh, uh, encounter between lovers. You can look at it like that. Or it's also about a CIA operative uh, in in Argentina torturing a prisoner. And what? with with electricity because that's what they yeah. hook them up. So it could you yeah. can listen to this out this song in one way it's a, like a very sexy dangerous song. Another one it's absolutely horrifying. And he brought his full beauty of this orchestrated uh, music. Uh, he used it all the prettiness they used of the past and poured it into this one song as a totally twisted messed up like because it shows like 
like there's this uh, interlude uh, of this Spanish guitar and these swelling strings of similar to what he would do during his uh, solo, his uh, previous time when he was uh, got, he got to work with big orchestras. And, but this is all about the swelling and stuff. It could be like, it could be the um, just the passion between two lovers, which is all sweet and lovely and nice, or it could be, um, it could be basically the internal bliss of a sociopathic CIA operative, like just the internal bliss of someone just, and that's kind of gives a hint of where Scott goes, where when you sue someone like this, you know, there's no, it's just horrifying because you realize they, there's no reaching them. There's this inhumanity. Right. And, and he, and so he depicts it in both ways, which is kind of, that's very complicated. That's very layered and, and the way it fits together and the nuance there. That's neat. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. And this album also flopped, but Scott didn't care anymore. He knew this might be his last chance and he wanted to go out doing what he wanted to do. But right. like sort of like I don't know if you've ever heard this about the Velvet Underground. Like they said only what was it? They said something like only 20 people bought the album or something, something to that effect. It's like very small amount of people bought the album in its time, but everyone who bought it made their own, uh, it made, made their own band and uh, that's how oh. they influenced it. Well, this right. album, the first four, first four songs on Night Flights, I don't listen to it. Like I have it on my phone. I have a download on my phone. I, I don't have any of the other Walker Brothers stuff on it. I mean, they were okay. They're, they're yep. fine. It's just not on, it's not on his level. Right. Um, so the first four songs I have of them, um, and they, uh, they influenced, um, it, had, it sounded like underground goth rock of the, of the eighties where okay. it was still 1978 and it influenced, um, ultra Vox, um, uh, it, it, there's a bunch of other eight. It just a lot of goth, just a kind of a lot of, um, just goth rock, though. goth rock. Yes. A lot of goth rock, electronic rock. And even though it was not electronic, he played on big organs in a church to get this big sound, but people can't, you know, if you're starting off and you're a teenager and you're listening to this, you can't do that. So you try to approximate on a synthesizer, but, right. um, but it's, it definitely, if you, if you hear them they they just have this very, this, uh, they're kind of soaring and swooping and sexy and unsentimental and, ferocious and dangerous where before he was kind of they were just like kind of these these watercolor washes of of impressions and um that's neat yeah wow yeah yeah it's so cool to watch sort of the growth yeah of 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 an artist like that but in music yes you know to see the new stuff that they write versus and 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 when you stop caring right when you know that you're always going to either make a living or have a day job or do other things for money, but Mm -hmm. then do art for the art. Yes. Yeah. Yes. That's so cool. Yeah. And, and so it, it, it got him up through, through other, well, first of all, uh, so Brian, Eno got a hold of this album and, and, and David was in, was still in Berlin and he's like, David, you got to listen to this. And David listened to it and he's like, like, so you see, it had this affection for his work because it influences early period. 
Right. And now here, you know, and it sounds like Scott was just kind of going towards, you know, he's just kind of drifting away into the past is your parents' music. And also he puts this on and he's like, oh, my God. And he's like, God damn it. He says he did in four songs what I've been trying to do for the past several years. Right. And in four songs. And he was and he was obsessed with it. He later on in the 90s. Bowie covered Night Flights, the song. It's such a it's such a sexy disco, uh, uh, new wave disco, post punk. It's just it's gorgeous. Okay. And and then uh, later also um, uh, the electrician he the the ominous sound of of that and the uh, the whole vibe he imagined it as doing an album as a sequel to it called um, Outside, and he did that in the. Um, Late 90s, early, I think late night uh, in the 90s, I believe. Okay. And um, he had heard that Scott was going to be doing a, um, he was going to be putting an album out and he was nervous because he was thinking, oh shit, because I just tried to do a, a sequel to Night Flights, but it was something, a totally different animal. Well, I'll, I'll get back to that. So so after Night Flights, there was a long period of silence. Um, he had the opportunities he could, through the goodwill of other musicians um, who loved this music, kind of talking to record companies, and he got signed again. Right. Um, it was a really horrible contract, and fortunately, he was able to. I think they released him from it because because he did this this album in 1984. Um, after the period of time between Night Flights and Climate. Um, I think he was struggling. I'm not sure exactly what was happening. He was not making music, uh, but he was living his life. Um, right. He he was. Um, there was talk later on about he. I'm not sure if he was homeless or he he may have been on the verge of it. Um, but he was trying to do other things. He he was doing house painting, possibly driving a cab, uh, possibly doing interior decorating. Um, and so he, he had other means to just, I think he was just being a workhorse, an entertainment workhorse from the, since the fifth, since he was a child. So I think he just needed a break in any case. Right. So like in 1969, mm -hmm. is he like 20 years old? No, no. Uh, 69, he is, uh, he was born in 43. So he's about 26, okay. 26 okay. years old. Okay. So. So in 1984, if he's born in, he's in his 40s. He's just hitting his 40s, yes. Yeah. And yeah. so he just has a couple of bad years or a couple of years when he's not really, he's he's got other musicians who appreciate him and want to get him work and maybe are getting him work, but he's also picking up odd jobs for cash. Yes, yes, he is. Okay. And he's kind of, and he said he, at this point, he did not want to be uh, just, churning out stuff he talks about uh trying to work for, i have heard him say in two different things working from a silence and working to a silence um so where what does that I, mean that's awesome well i think it's i think that's what i, I something that that really touched me because there's this idea and i i when I'm going to art school was like you always work, you always work. You're as good as the last thing you do. You work, you work, you work, you work, you work, and you always and I remember I even 
both, I remember doing this performative productivity. And I mean, you're in school, you bet you should take the most, most advantage of it. And you really should as you're young and you've got the energy. Uh, but also remember like a teacher who he had good stuff, but he was always like, you know, you never stop, you never stop. And he was, oh, and you, you just always producing. And I think sometimes, I mean, and the thing is that the galleries will take you more seriously to do that. But at the same time, I think sometimes you need to just turn it off for a little while and recharge. Um, yeah. I've had times where I've, I've struggled, I have personal problems and other things. And, and, and I was, you know, and I would stop for a moment and then there's this thing like, well, if you're not doing it now, you're not serious. And like, you're, you're right. not a real artist. And right. that and, whole real business can fuck itself, quite honestly. Yes. <laughs> because it is, I mean, it's something, it's so interesting when they put that into the art world, when mm -hmm. that sort of American exceptionalism, that, that sort of American Puritan work ethic tried to, and worked, it got a hold of the art community and said, you have to always be producing. Yes. And it's, it's, um, it doesn't allow uh, a chance to refill the well, you know, that, that artist way book or whatever. Yes. Um, it doesn't allow you to be able to, to create from a place of silence. That's so that's such a cool thing that yeah. silence from silence. Yes. Yes. And he, um, he was also, he, he read voluminously and um, he saw, he, he was very inspired by film, uh, European art movies. That's why he actually, that was part of the appeal of him going to, uh, to England. And then uh, he also spent some time in the Netherlands, not, um, believe it, but um, uh, he, he mostly, in, mostly in London, but he, he, but in any case, he, he wanted to, um, he really connected with the idea of uh, Europe and and art film and that he could he, and and reading and I think he wanted to be able to absorb from that more instead of just producing 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 and right because if he would have stayed here if he would have stayed in the United States that's when it was there was so much churning there was yeah. so much churning out of all these things I could see him in 1969 going I have to slow down yeah. I have to go somewhere where the art is just going to, it's, it's weirder things are happening. Yeah, right. Um, and, and then 69, he, he really did, he put his whole self into that album. Um, and when they, it, I think he, he was a little bit heartbroken because of the reception and the, the album company, the record company is telling him to go in other places. Um, and he checked out for a while. Just Right, because you know. if you're certain that what you've produced is really, yeah, it's it's some of your best work for it not to be recognized is something that can that can you, you really have to work to get over that sort of disappointment. I could see that. Yeah. Yeah. And then when he was older, I think he just was more confident in himself as a, you know, like I am not a that he didn't have to turn it out. And he, I think he wanted to get something that was just had more he was more connected to and more depth. And also he had more life experience and he was also very very protective of his personal life. He wouldn't share, he, he wouldn't share uh, much. And when he, later on, when he dealt with biographers, if they tried to get too into his personal stuff, he would just cut them off because he didn't have oh, really? time for that. Yeah. He, I mean, if it felt that he would talk about things in terms of it, if it, it affected his process, but he would not talk about 
you know, his sex life. Um, what do so we much- know? What do we know about what, what, what gossip do we have about his life? Is there, he was an only child. He was an only child. Um, he had his parents were entertainment entertainers as well, no, or his parent, his dad was in the oil industry. Oh, that's right. And, yep. and, uh, he had, uh, apparently it was a tumultuous relationship with his mother and they had divorced pretty young. He said they read, remembered some really bad fights. And then okay. his, his mother was sort of a stage mom escorted him to up to New York where he became a, he was on Broadway. Uh, and they got divorced when he was like 10 or 12 or something like I think younger, mid- younger. I think he was probably like my, my guess is probably about six or seven, maybe, maybe okay. somewhere. Yeah. Soon. So earlier. Yes. Yeah. And then, and then when he went professional, what town was he living in? Um, professional. Where did they end up? Uh, well, his mom took him into New York. So they, they okay. were, they were doing New York, uh, Broadway. And then they went wet. Then they went out West, uh, to LA where he became an Eddie Fisher's protege on his TV show. Oh, I, I didn't, I forgot to mention that. Yeah. Um, yeah. So he was, no, a- you mentioned Eddie Fisher and I, all I could think was, I thought he was a comic, Yeah, well, he, and, but he, he had a variety show yes. where he, he nurtured musicians. I Scott, forgot about that. Okay. Scott was on that. Yeah. 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 Um, also I forgot to mention also when he was in New York, as a kid, when he was like a young t- kid to a young teen, he was on a kid, he was on a uh, show called, uh, let me see. I think I got it on here. Oh, blank and I, it's the star time kids. And he was okay. Joe Pesci was one of, he was uh, one of his uh, co-stars on there. What? Yeah. Joe, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah. So um, anyway, yeah, they okay. went, went out West. Uh, Eddie, he was a, Eddie Fisher kind of mentored him and he was a guest several times on his show, but then Eddie Fisher got it. You know, he was, he was married to Debbie Reynolds and then he was messing around with Elizabeth Taylor and then just the moral outrage caused him to have to like end his show. And then that was the end of Scott on the kid, you know, on the upcoming uh, kid, uh, team right. popper yeah. kid thing. And that's where he decided he, he was uh, trying to balance school and, uh, and plant doing session work and stuff like that. I think it got expelled from school one time because uh, or it got suspended because he was cherry bombing toilets and just little mischievous kid stuff. Right. He was 14. Yeah. Whatever. What are you going to I mean? Uh, it's a certain kind of 14, but it is still 14. I'll, yeah. I'll, I got all kinds of slack to cut for the 14 year olds of the world. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. And then, then Walker I, brothers went out to London because he had um, one of the band members. I think they brought him on because his dad was a financier and he, he could pay for them to go out there. Sure. Went out there. They got their start there. And so Walker Brothers, um, uh, they, they, they were very popular. Uh, they had the girls chasing them down, ripping their clothes off, turning their cars over, uh, getting into his personal business. Um, he got very stressed from that. He said it was all it was great until it wasn't anymore. Like, I think at first, like the female attention probably felt wonderful, but he is a private person. And I think it got too much and it was very upsetting. And I think also being smarter and a little more sensitive, it really was getting to him. Apparently, in the mid to late 60s, around 66, 67, there's um, talk that he had uh, attempted suicide. Um, I, I don't know if you have to you know, be careful about what goes into the show for that. But, um, if that's a, you know, trigger. No, it's, it's, uh, well, hopefully not. It's, okay. uh, the thing is, is suicide's real. It's, yeah. uh, don't do it. 
Yeah. There you go. So I'm he, gonna take a stand, a yeah. crazy stand, uh, Gene Hospod. <laughs> so so he uh, so he did uh, attempt suicide. I think it was actually caught by the fans because he was gonna trying to gas himself, and the, the fans were hanging out at outside his apartment, caught scent of it, and so he had some police. depression. Yes. Yeah. Um, he broke. He decided to go to his official words with this was I wanted to learn Gregorian chant and he went to a monastery and uh, just laid low tried to lay low uh, problem was his fans followed him there and uh, made too much of a it, he didn't let them in they just were just hanging out around the edges like ah! you know like you know mm-hmm. crazed girl teenage girl fans right, right. He probably like I'm, I'm sure whenever John Lennon tried to go he climbed a mountain in Tibet. Yeah. And I'm sure somebody showed up going, I love your work. Yeah. And uh stop talking. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> so um he yeah, so he uh he did that and they they had to tell him like sorry, you'll have to go. Um but they gave him a key and said, You're welcome back at another time when you when you'd like, um, someday in the future. And he wore that key for a while and he um and then uh, he was doing his solo work and he also got himself a TV show, a variety show. And it only had six episodes and it was just where you have guests on like uh, Dusty Springfield, um, Gene Pitney, um, uh, 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 Blossom Deary, who wrote a song about him uh, okay. and called Long Daddy Green. And it's just about this kind of sexy, mysterious guy who kind of charms you and then disappears and then comes back again at your door. Sure. Uh, and uh, I think she was older. I um, she was older. I don't know if they had like a special relationship or just a flirtation or what. Mm-hmm. Um, and so they had so he had the show. Did the the he went through Scott one two three and four. Uh, then he then the uh, all the covers uh, in the country with the back with the Walker brothers. Then but he had a kid, fl- right? He did have a kid, and he uh, in the. Uh, uh, early seventies. Yeah. He, um, there was a, uh, a woman from, uh, just say, uh, the Netherlands, uh, that he, a fan and, uh, they, they got married and they had a daughter and, uh, they, uh, he did divorce. They did get divorced later, but, um, he now had a deal with, you know, raising a, you know, uh, being of the support of daughter. I don't know the specifics of that. Again, he kept that very locked down. Sure. Um, so, uh, got the, uh, night flights. Now there's like this pause, uh, with, he was doing some other things, uh, not clear exactly where and when, but, you know, not some non-music work, as I said, the house painting, the, uh, uh, the interior design, uh, did the client, this album called climate of Hunter, where it's still pop and it's still rock, but it's beginning the song structures are beginning, beginning to dissolve and uh, they're getting spacier. Um, kind of has this icy sensuality to it. It's very beautiful. And uh, there's a song he caught on there called Dealer. And it's really weird. Like, I don't know if you've heard a thing called binaural beats. There's no, a, what, is, what is that? It's like, um, there's these, uh, it's an, I, I don't know if it's woo woo or, you know, or how much it's scientifically sound, uh, but certain <laughs> fair enough no worries certain warning uh, everybody knows now go for okay. it what's it called again but uh binaural beats okay um certain and i and they also called uh iso 
misochronic tones, I believe, is the other thing. It's these certain uh, frequencies that are supposed to um, stimulate different parts of your brain and want, like certain ones like um, may help you concentrate. Some people will play them, whether it's music or just the tones to, to be able okay. to study or to sleep or for sex or for okay. whatever, you know, and there's a, but there's a bunch of them. Yes. And a, okay. I've never heard him mention these at all. However, when he did this song called Dealer, the, the there's this tone and he sometimes he called these tones that he would put under his music. This is kind of like that would sort of bind his music. He called it the binding sound okay. and the binding sound on Dealer. It's so strange. I don't, I'm not someone who's like used a lot of drugs, but I've had to take opiates as a painkiller from when I've had procedures and sure. things like that. And you as have, prescribed. As yes. prescribed, yeah. And you have yeah, kind of this floaty feeling. And it's strange that it felt, it, it, it really, this tone seems to like, seems to like mimic like an, an opiate high. And it's amazing. It's like, and it's like, the song's about, about junkies, but it's also right. really ethereal and beautiful too. Mm -hmm. And it's just weird how he did that. And so these songs are, they're, they're, they, the song structures are beginning to come apart. And mm -hmm. there's another pause. He, it was the, it was a, it's a beautiful album. I think it's another masterpiece. It's one of its own era, but um, it also, for, I think it, it was Virgin's worst-selling album that year. Like, <laughs> so this guy is an artist. It's yes. 1984. He's put out his climate album. Yes. And um, the 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 world doesn't care. The critics love it. Yeah. Uh, critics, yes. The critics like the critics were very positive about it. Yeah. And they were thinking, well, maybe something, uh, you know, something else coming, and then another silence but i think right. he was kind of working like i i think it was i think he was kind of at this point the gears were going um he is continuing doing his other stuff whatever it is but one other thing now he decided to go to enroll in art college and study painting and drawing okay and uh he uh from what i have never seen his artwork i've looked it's I don't know if he's it's just Can't hidden find it. or it's under yeah. another name. I can, if anyone can ever find it, please. Jackie at JackieCation.com. Scott yeah. Walker's art. If anyone knows where to get it. Yeah. You know, there are a lot of uh, listeners to this show who know how to work a rabbit hole. Yeah. So there is hope. I had I did hear the work did have this abstract braille. Like it was like these dark, uh, a dark. Um, kind of black uh, abstract pieces that were um, had a textural quality like Braille. Okay. Um, and I also know this, even though he was a house painter and did interior decorating and he went to art school, he was colorblind. Oh, weird. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So he, he worked in tones. And I think that's why he also liked a lot of older European art movies. I think he liked that kind of black and white. Uh, I think that like just kind of... It it's its own its own emotional color world in a weird way yeah that makes any sense um so, <laughs> it does so he's, i like it he's beginning to so he he's uh he's kind of thinking about getting back in there i know he contacted david sylvian of japan to possibly do something and david was i think he was agreeable to it and then 
nothing happened for a while. So then David just went on and did his own stuff. But then who's David Sylvian? He's a he's another um, he was a pop musician in this band called Japan in the 80s. And it was very okay. it was very pretty pop. And then he went on to continue doing his own art and music. And he's still working to this day. Kind of the, people usually put him in the same uh, in the same uh, universe as a Scott Walker. OK. Yeah. Fair enough. Yeah. 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 So. Um, and what year is this? Like early 90s? Early night. Well, late 80s, early 90s. And so okay. Scott's, so that never happened. But, you know, they stayed on. I believe they were at least uh, they were they were friendly. But Scott started just working on his stuff quietly. And he puts out, this is the second revolution. He put out this album in, in the mid-90s called Tilt. And Tilt is this combination of like classical and uh, in, industrial rock. Uh, Nine Inch Nails is an influence at the same okay. time. And also, you know, uh, this has this operatic quality to it. Uh, the first song on it, is called Farmer in the City. And it's about the uh, filmmaker Pasolini uh, looking back at his life. And he was also, and also like, um, also about his murder, I believe, or his kid, the mystery of how he passed away. It might've been at okay. the hands of a, his uh, younger lover. It might've mm -hmm. been, it might've been some sort of hit. Um, Wow. But then, so there's it's this open, it's, it's, it's like, a, it's, it sounds, it's like this epic opera. And then you think, okay, is this is going to be kind of a semi-classical album. Then the next song is called The Cockfighter. And all of a sudden, boom, it is, it, it's just, it's um, this harsh, uh, mechanical, industrial churning. And it's, it's a, it's a, Overlapping two parts of history, uh, one about, um, I think, a, a member of uh, British royalty having an affair and another one of a of a of a Nazi um, in it, it, the trial of a Nazi, uh, you know, with it, with, you know, the murder, you know, with the, the Nuremberg trials. I don't know if it's in the Nuremberg trial. It might have been. But one of the something one with a. Uh, you know, a Nazi uh, being held accountable to um, what he did, what he did with, you know, masses of masses right. of his captains. Murder. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Genocide. Uh, so, but it was, and, and it was, so it was not operatic. It was more heavy metal or was it more like noise music? It's not, it's well, a little, there... bit of noise, a little bit of noise, industrial noise, but it's, this is the thing. It's like, it's it's really hard to categorize. Um, someone called have put him into this category called called leader leader music, where I think how do you spell that? L i e d e r, I believe okay. leader. And it's I think like you 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 the, what he started to do is write he would write lyrics till he got them just where he wanted them. And then he would build a whole. He would build sound, whether it was sound effects, uh, orchestrated uh, rock, or whatever he had to use um, to fit to fit the lyrics. And it, it wasn't necessarily verse, chorus, verse, chorus anymore. It would go way. It, it would this, the music would just follow the structure of what the lyrics are doing. Okay. So uh, yeah. they were not conventional songs anymore. Right. Uh, and 
Um, and that's and how that album was called Tilt. Tilt. Yes. And um, it starts off very well, you know, I described that. And it's just, some of the songs later on become a little more. Um, they're not not conventional because they're not, but um, they're a little he gives you the most challenging stuff at first. And then it kind of um, the other stuff, I think, is all, is easier to connect with. Um, OK, sort of blends back into more rock or in, in, with more instrumental or just more lyrical. Uh, it's just a, uh, I'm sorry how to put it. It's a uh, you're almost it's just you're. You, You've been talking nonstop for 55 minutes, which is oh, really? hilarious and perfect. Oh, okay. That is, that is the ideal dork for us. Plug okay. and play, ladies and gentlemen. I'm here with Gene Hospod, okay. and it's genehospod.com. Okay. Uh, it'll be in the notes. Okay. 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 Um, it's, just, it's just a little more um, easier for me to connect with. I don't know how to exactly explain it, but it's just, um, I think the stuff's um, just harsher in the beginning and as you get on like this the, the title song tilt it almost sounds like a country song at first it, he says it's almost like a parody of a country song and then it, when it gets it does get to a chorus and the chorus kind of tilts in a weird way and it kind of skews your perspective and uh cool. it's it's very fast it's fascinating and I try to get to the next one so people are like so now what next you know and he tried not to take so long uh although it still took about almost well it, it almost another decade because he said he was dealing with at this point he was still he was he was doing other things he was working with other musicians he uh did us he wrote some music for Ut limper um uh, can you hit me? I'm not sure if I just knocked myself out of the. Nope, I, you're doing fine. Okay. okay. Uh, he 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 wrote for the Lemper. He did a he did a, a festival meltdown festival where he got different um, got Blur and Pulp and he, Pulp was a band he also produced. Uh, we love life. Uh, pop, uh, you know, rock pop. Uh, right. Friends. His light became very close friends with uh, Jarvis Cocker. Um, he uh, he he uh, contributed something to an album called uh, Plague Songs, where different artists, including Laurie Anderson, I think Brian Eno, um, other musicians just covered different plagues. And he did right. the Plague of Darkness. Um, so he's doing lots of little things, but he also had a deal with he did come back to the United States briefly because I think he had fam. Like, I think he had it. Maybe his, I think his mother might have been ill and he was had to take care of her. I think he even said sometimes like he even mentioned one time hay fever being an, uh, an issue sometimes when, he, you know, he wants to sing and have to call it off for a little while. And so in, in 2007, he uh, does The Drift and The Drift is harder. It's more rock. Um, at the same time, while he's recording it, Stephen Kajak is doing a documentary on him and got access, even though as private as he was, he was, he was granted access to, to the studio so he could watch what he was doing. Um, he's uh, getting, it's, uh, he does a song called Clara. It's about the uh, execution of uh, Benito Mussolini and his girlfriend, his uh, girlfriend, Clara. Uh, he doesn't have any sympathy towards dictators. He's starting to deal a lot with abuses of power. He talks about dangerous clowns. Um, he had no so, but he, he had no sympathy for dictators. But he he did have um, kind of a questioning empathy for the women who got caught up in their world. And sure. So he's 
if you can listen, if I always say if someone wants to listen to their, his later work and just if they can spend time on just one, because it, it, their sensory overload, I cannot listen to the, when I first listened to the later stuff, it was like, whoa, it's too, it's like too much. You have to just take, take one at a time. And he even had said that he says, you know, don't, you know, you, it's, it's not stuff you can listen to on heavy rotation. You're not supposed to get it all at once. He said, someone one time told him, uh, uh, I'm sorry. Um, like I love your, I love all your work, but I can't listen to the later stuff. Like in, in the heavy rotation, like I can listen to like Scott four or Scott two or something because, Oh no, you shouldn't. He says, that would kill you. Yeah. (laughs) And he says, you know, you, it's, it's like, it's, it's a time you sit down. Each track or each, each song is, is something just to sort of be savored and you listen to it. Yeah. and, And take a little time. Yes. And even if you don't think it's oh, okay, this is too out there, give it a little time and don't don't worry about it. He, he even said that. Don't worry about it. Just let it wash over you and, you know, come back to it later if you want to. But uh, right. Clara, Clara is just an it's like an epic movie. It's like a his the European movie he wanted to make. This idea he was talking about this idea of Europe, like his his music was always more European than Europe itself, the, the, the European pop that was coming out, because it was this idea, this love, this idea of Europe. And that's like a, it's like a, it's like a movie. Just close your eyes and listen to it. Um, it's beautiful and touching and it's and horrifying. And that's on the drift? On the drift. And it's also horrifying. There's this percussion. They show it in the um, 30th century man, how they get the percussion for this. Got a, brought in a big side of beef um, mm-hmm. or side of pork. And he had his drummer, punching the pork that sound like fists on flesh. And, yeah. uh, and it's, um, yeah. The last episode I just did uh, recorded earlier today was about effects pedals. Oh. And it's about the, uh, how, how to play the music with different effects uh-huh. and, and some noise music there. Okay. So was, was the drift, that was 2007? 2007. Did he uh, do another album before yeah, he passed? Uh, he did two more. I'm sorry. I know that we're taught probably the time constraint. Um, I'm trying to get to the other ones because they're so good. Um, so he does after this, like he gets, a, he's going a little faster because one of the things he keeps starting to say is like, I might be dead by the next album. <laughs> um, so I think he wants to kind of step it up. Uh, so he does Bishbosh. Bishbosh. Um, although I think I'm reversed on the image here. Bishbosh. I can see it. Bishbosh. That is uh, a, another dark album, but it's also very kind of goofy and fun and silly, and but also very dark. Um, but uh, he's one of the things that starts showing up is a sense of humor. Um, but he says that Bishbosh is like the idea of like in British, like Bishbosh as in sorted, done, but uh, Bosh as in Hieronymus Bosh. And Bish, like um, is it the, the English slang, uh, street slang for a bitch, like this my bitch. So right. he had the, and what's Bosch? And Bish, what's the and Bosch for Hieronymus Bosch, the painter who did the Garden of Earthly Delights, which is this okay. detail. And this is sort of like it has this feeling of this epic, like how just er, of everything of society and how like how trivial and ridiculous and deadly and beautiful and just it just has this epic feel to it if you ever look in um hieronymus bot like there's this thing on twitter uh the bosch bot and it's just this bot that takes random photos of the garden of earthly delights 
and just shows details because it's just hilarious and beautiful and creepy and funny and horrifying. <laughs> just all kinds of stuff. You just if you can follow that on Twitter, Boshbot. Um, so uh, he, so Bishbosh kind of covers covers that world, and Bishbosh is the idea of a he thought of an epic uh, goddess, a creative uh, this uh, epic artist goddess, and. Uh, so get into that. Uh, there's an uh, there's a song called Zircon and a flagpole sitter. Uh, it's at, that's the I wrote that to you saying it's the most banana pants thing he's ever done. Um, I wish I could go into it, but that would be another that would be another uh, hour. So I, I, <laughs> uh, Epizootics Epizootics is is uh, that's a it's it's kind of this it's kind of fun. It's he kind of like it's his version of like if you can get through Zircon, which you know, if you get through Zircon, you can uh, be rewarded by Epizootics, which is almost like kind of a Scott Walker dance party, like in his own weird, dark way. Um, and then he did, um, he started working at a much faster pace. Um, he followed that up uh, two, uh, two years later. He worked with a, a drone metal band called Sun. And uh, they, uh, it, it's called Soust. And it's, um, and I think, that kind of really was a perfect match for him because his music was getting more stripped and getting to its like bare essentials. And this way he could really get like, he could use the band to get a big epic, uh, just noise that he needed to make, but he was starting to come back around and starting to do a verse chorus, verse chorus in this. So in some ways he was kind of coming back a little bit. I mean, uh, returning to something a little more, but it's both outrageous and it's more conventional because um, the song structure is becoming something a little more recognizable. Um, then I wish I could go on about it. Herod is just a gorgeous song. I want to make a painting of it someday. Herod 2014, which is about uh, about kind of this female mother character who is hiding her children away uh, from from this deadly paternalistic force. And this character is pursuing her, but at first it's in a way and it's, it's deadly and it's ominous. But then the point of view changes to someone who's trying to corner someone who is very scared and wants to help them. Um, and they kind of, they, he talks about um, almost like a, a, a breached birth, a, a breached birth in, a, in, a, in livestock and having to come in and, and and turn the come up inside and turn the baby around, and then as someone who is uh, religious and, and in awe of this life force, um, so it kind of tells this whole journey where it was it's, it's dark, but it actually ends I think very beautiful and very loving. Um, and then there's this other song called Bull that is um, it it it's very it's talking about how life is in so much pain. Uh, relentless pain but there's but also life can go on and you can still it's it's very I think it's positive in the face of a very a lot of darkness um that there's a thing Tignataro had said uh one time when she did one of her darker stand-up her dark stand-up that she was that kind of a, was a turning point for her when she was talking about she she was dealing with a lot of very dark uh things in her life and she said it's it's not it's just playing with the audience, like telling them horrible turns in her life, but then 
making a joke of it, but then going the dark again. And she said to an audience member who got very upset and she goes, it's, it's okay. It's going to, it, it, it's not okay, but it's going to be okay. And mm-hmm. I think that's what he was trying to, it's not okay. It's not okay, but it's going to be okay. Um, sure. Yeah. And agree. Yeah. And, and then uh, just to kind of sum it up, cause I, sorry. Uh, he worked with this um, musician, uh, uh, Brady Corbet, uh, who was a young child actor who um, very pretty, pretty young man uh, who had ambitions of doing something else. And he wanted to write and direct his own movies. And he also had a dream of Europe, I believe. And he made this uh, movie called um, Childhood of a Leader. And it's about the rise of fascism from uh, World War um, I to World War II through a ch- this child who grows up to become a Hitler-like or a Mussolini-like character. And it, right. and it and also I think there's this parallel. It kind of shows like kind of Scott's beginnings, and then um, and Scott did the soundtrack, and it's just epic. It's beautiful. And then he uh, did the second. His uh, worked with him on his second uh, um, uh, movie called Vox Lux, which is about uh-huh. the which is about um, it's sort of like a damned uh, a star is born, but it's a it's about a this child who survives a school shooting and she's between life and death and makes a deal with the devil to live. And he agrees and he makes her a star to carry out his word and kind of to, and her, she the ends- devil is very tricky. Mm-hmm. It's always a trick. It's just like, never make a deal with the devil. You guys, you think it's all going to work out, but it turns out, well, no, go ahead. So sorry. <laughs> no, that's okay. No, that's fine. I've weeded that's- off. Yeah. yeah. So she does a deal with the devil and she kind of loses her soul and she carries on this idea of more immortality. And uh, uh, what's her name? Um, she the the, uh, the girl is in Black Swan uh, played Natalie oh, Portman. Natalie Portman. She, Natalie Portman. Uh, she was worried she couldn't sing in this. Uh, now, she did not do the songs. Sia did the songs. Sia okay. did these candy coated for, for her her songs. Scott did the soundtrack, the underlying orchestrated sa- soundtrack. But she did these uh, candy-coated pop tunes to say that basically uh, to, that that does seem like uh, just earworms. Uh, but in the context of the movie, it's really kind of a dark message. Yeah. Now, and that's the Vox Lux. Movie? That's Vox Lux, yes. And then he had um, also a published book called uh, Sundog, which was an overview of his past of all his. Uh, his uh, curated collection of his lyrics. And he also had a set of lyrics he was going to make new al- a new new album for, but he just, he had cancer and he couldn't, he couldn't do it. Um, it didn't happen. Yeah. Yeah. But Amir McBride did the, did the forward to it. And uh, she, and she was, um, she wrote this beautiful romance. Well, it's a dark romance too. And she, uh, <laughs> called uh, the lesser Bohemians. And she she based the, sexuality of the lead male character on scott walker's songs and even in description it sounds like his physical description um and i you i know you like romance novels um you should look at that it's uh okay. it, but it's a it's a dark movie but i wish i could go into more detail but i i i yeah we're at uh you've uh th- that's the thing about the dork forest it starts and it's over almost immediately <laughs> as you're like but I had like two more. Okay. 
It's okay. It's okay. It's okay. We'll have you back. We'll have you back. Okay. Uh, this has been a delight, though. And uh, Gene Hospod, you guys, J-E-A-N-N-E-H-O-S-P-O-D. It'll be in the notes. Uh, check out the art. Check out the, the animation. Check out the website. This well, has been fascinating. I've never even heard of the guy. Yeah. And also, if you go to my, my latest, uh, I'll send you a link, uh, so if you can put it on there. Uh, my latest blog post, I did compile all the uh, playlists yeah. and, uh, and information with it. So you can, you can get. Please do. Yeah. I, That's yeah, it's, awesome. It's already up, so you can take a look at it. Yeah. That's so great. And Rangers, you know the rules out there. Take care of each other. My hat, my hat, my hat. They're dancing around my hat, my hat, my hat, my hat. Well, what do you think of that? If it looks like a Mexican hat dance and it sounds like a Mexican hat dance, it's most likely a Mexican hat dance. So take off your hat and let's dance. Yay! Oh, my God. We, why don't we just call that as the end of the show?